So I'm here with Georgia Simmons, the creator of You Must Come Alone to Read the Last Book on Earth. Yes. Hi, Georgia. Hi. <laughs> um, so firstly, would you like to tell me a little bit about your work as a theatre maker and artist? Sure. So I work as a theatre maker and a live artist and game designer and often make work that is sort of like in between those three things or combining those three things. So I, I started with theatre and film when I was younger and then I sort of encountered the idea of live art when I moved to Melbourne a few years ago and have been playing around in that space and ditto with games. I mean, obviously I've played games all my life, but again, when I moved to Melbourne a few years ago, I met some game designers and really got involved in that whole scene. So for the last uh, two or three years since graduating uni, I've been just making work independently and just testing out new crazy ideas and learning more about my craft. Awesome. And could you tell me a bit about your newest show or what would you call it? Uh, I still don't know what to call it. Interactive. The, yeah, the people at the library call it an installation. Okay. I think I, I call it an experience maybe. Okay. So it's called You Must Come Alone to Read the Last Book on Earth. And it basically does what it says on the tin. You come alone and you read a book and it is the last book on earth. Not literally, I haven't burnt all the books, but uh, there's, I guess, a conceit within the piece that, or like a, a pretense, an idea that this is the last book on earth that has somehow fallen into our hands. And I don't really touch on how that might be. Like, is it time travel? Is it like, has it traveled from another dimension? Is it just a entirely fictional thing? I don't really answer that question. But people sit alone in just a really bland meeting room in a library with a nice enough view, but nothing really decorating the room. And they read this very detailed, handwritten, handmade book for half an hour. Cool. And so during the experience, you invite the people who come into the room to perhaps add onto the book with a grey lead pencil. What was your choice behind that? Yeah, it was actually a pretty tricky choice. The conceit is that it's sort of a, an end of the world kind of scenario, or maybe not an end to the entire world, but a period of immense hardship where for one reason or another, all of the books go extinct. And the book kind of, th this book, my book, uh, kind of deals with how that could possibly have happened, where all the other books have gone, and does language continue, and if so, how does it continue? And by the end of that reading experience, there is kind of an open invitation to readers to contribute to this new document of human language and knowledge in whatever visual or written or verbal languages they can. Cool. Did you have any expectations or hopes for what audience members might contribute? Yeah, absolutely. I really am hoping that people will invest in the activity pretty strongly and write something that bears a lot of meaning for them. I had initially intended that that be some, like a story from their life or a story, a narrative about themselves or their own lived experience. But some people have gone in a much more, some people have taken that route, some people have gone in a much more poetic or abstract kind of a way. And then other people have done this really incredible thing of like documenting the document. Like someone's written some end notes at the back of the book around other ideas that they have about language and what we should question about language. And then I had one person come through and write really detailed notes, not in the book, but on the table of like what he thought 
the history of the book is because of course people that have written in the book within the fiction of the book it's like people have just written in it in fragments and sort of in stolen moments or like there's lots of gaps in the history that we see in the book and someone wrote really detailed notes on the table about what he thought was going on so yeah people have brought all kinds of different things to it my only concern was that people would just all write in the book thanks for the show Georgia what a good print show I was really and I got some advice from a mentor I really trust who told me to not allow anyone to write in the book under any uh, under any circumstances because she said that was what people would do that they'd just write good good print show and I almost went with that and provided a separate surface for people to write on but then I was like no I want to trust people and I want to trust myself that I can communicate my intention well enough that people will know that they it's not like a guest book, mm, you know? Mm. Yeah, because there's quite a few pages left, like almost mm. half. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. a bit under half, yeah. yeah. During my experience of You Must Come Alone to Read the Last Book on Earth, I was constantly questioning the place it was set. It was within the library. And to me, in terms of story, seemed a strange place to set a piece about the last book on Earth. I would have much rather seen this piece placed in a setting that was much more curated and atmospheric. So I talked to Georgia about that. So you placed this experience in the Docklands Library. Mm. Um, what was your choice behind that? I ashamedly, or maybe not so ashamedly, adore the Docklands. I think they're just a wonderful place, or to put it another way, an awful place. <laughs> but I think there's something really telling about our culture and our country in the Docklands in terms of the approach, that, like the terrible approach to the planning and then the fact that people are trying to make the best of that space now and they're kind of failing and they're kind of succeeding and it's kind of still awful. And so the room that the experience takes place in is just a little meeting room and it's really bland and kind of ugly and just shit. <laughs> but like it's, it's clean and like very sparse and everything. And out the window, there's like the view is like a bit of the harbour, a few complete apartment buildings and skyscrapers and stuff. And then like a, a construction site as well. And I kind of always feel like the Docklands feels a bit like the end of the world anyway. And like when you get off the tram there, you have to like take all these detours through construction sites and stuff. And there's like no pedestrian footpath half of the way. And I just felt like that was really fitting for like a apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic kind of theme in the work. And I wanted people to be able to look out the window of wherever they were sitting and kind of half believe that the things that are written about in the book either have happened or could happen. And then I also thought there was something really complicated and like uncomfortable about placing this experience in a library like but something complicated in a way that almost allows the conceit to thrive because my first instinct of course was to put it in an environment where there were no books for miles around and you could really sort of like look at this book and be like this is the last book on earth but actually a I, I really liked the fact that you're within the context of a library and then you kind of go into this world and you can kind of like immediately acknowledge, okay, this is a fiction and I've acknowledged that by like seeing all the books I saw on my walk up to this room. And then also be, if people had a really strong response to the work, as some people have in terms of like really wanting to like think about language or really being 
really cherishing books afresh or whatever it might be to know that at the end of that experience they're then in the context of a library and like I had one guy come along on the first day who had the second session of the day and then he stayed in the library for the whole rest of the day which just felt really great in terms of like and he had spoken about how the work just made him want to think about language for the rest of the day and that was sort of part of my intention as well to leave people in that kind of space. I would have loved to see a more atmospheric space. I would have loved to see this piece commit further to the apocalyptic elements, like perhaps placing it within a house in the suburbs, in the back room, or using sound design and lighting to make the show more atmospheric. So I had a chat to Georgia about sounds and space. So this work is situated in a library, which is a public space. And during my experience, I had an announcement <laughs> happen um, about like, there'll be a band playing downstairs, head on <laughs> down at 10 past one. What is, what's your, what's your thoughts about that? I didn't know that that was going to be happening, but I'm pretty into it because again, it's that thing of like actively reminding people that they're in a library and kind of the, the tension that that creates with the act of reading the last book whilst sort of simultaneously knowing that you're in a library. I think it just sort of like keeps you in the headspace of the work, not in terms of like letting you be absorbed in the story because it does the opposite of that, but it keeps you in the critical space of the work mm. and keeps you thinking like, this is a library, this is a space of knowledge and of like the sharing of knowledge. And that's what we're celebrating and mourning, like celebrating and mourning the passing of, I guess, mm. with this book. So yeah, definitely not something that I anticipated, but something that I'm pretty into, sure. You collaborated with a bookbinder. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? So I felt really strongly that this book would have to be custom made. Like I thought it would be really weird to like go to Officeworks and buy a notebook and then <laughs> write in that. And I also wanted narratively for this book to have been made by the last person on earth who still knew the art of bookbinding but had very few resources at their disposal so it looks like it's put together with scraps but by an expert and of course I'm not an expert in bookbinding so I just contacted all the bookbinders in Melbourne and the one that got back to me um, the first was actually incredible his name's Phil Ridgway and he has a bindery called Ort Bindery and he also has a school of bookbinding the Melbourne School of Bookbinding where he instructs individual pupils on the art of bookbinding. And I don't believe there's anything about bookbinding that he doesn't know. And he was incredible. Like, I didn't give him any particular brief for, like, what the book had to look like. I just told, I just explained to him that conceit of, like, it has to look put together from scraps but by an expert. And he took that and ran with it and just designed it and sent me a sketch. And I was like, great, cool. And... Well, before that, he'd sort of shown me examples of all these different other books that he'd made and was like, do you want the binding like this or like this? Do you want like this kind of clasp? Do you want a clasp? Like, how should the front and backboards be? All this sort of thing. And we discussed that in person and then he sent me a sketch and I was like, yeah, that's perfect. Just do it. And it was perfect. And he videotaped himself uh, doing the binding as well on a GoPro. And the amount of work that he put in is incredible. Like there's leather on the book that kind of looks like it's been stolen from another book that has like gold tooling on it. Um, and he like handmade and hand distressed and hand tooled 
that leather and like hand tooled the gold onto it. Um, and then like the backboard is like a wood and it looks like an old wooden packing crate, but he's like individually stamped these old numbers onto it and stuff. So he like really was, it was really a labor of love for him. And there was almost this moment of like, once I got the book back from him, I fully understood my responsibility in like creating something worthy of this beautiful object that he'd made. I was like, oh, now I have to like really make it good. So it was really nice to have that to aim for. And so the book has a lot of writings and drawings and all sorts of things in it. Did you have any other collaborators or did you do that all yourself? I did most of it myself. I'm not very good at faking other people's handwriting because I don't even really have handwriting myself. Like I look through my own journal and it's just like 15 different people have written in it, um, but I can't really control that. So I wrote a lot of it myself, um, but I got my partner to write one of the chapters. Like I'd drafted it on a computer, but I got him to handwrite it. Um, and then I got a friend of mine to do some doodles in it because I'm no good at drawing either. So, but those were... The, the doodles were fairly brief. That was just like we met in a cafe for like an hour and he did those. And the handwriting from my partner was fairly extensive actually because it's probably the longest section that I got him to do. But it's because his handwriting looks so arcane and weird and so I wanted to like include <laughs> that in the book. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, I, I did all of the internal crafting, all of the painting and writing of the words myself. Cool. Do you think once you're done with the Fringe Festival, this will be the end of the book or do you want to take it somewhere else? I really want to keep it going. I don't know what form that's in. I don't know whether it's that exact book that kind of continues on. I think that will be it for a while, but I would love for this project to have a life beyond that where I could maybe like commission Phil to make a new book that might be like a lot bigger and the book could start traveling around really extensively. Like I already know that I'm just gonna, I'm going on a trip to Newcastle and Sydney soon for the National Young Writers Festival and then just to visit Sydney because it's where my parents live um, and a lot of my friends. And I'm just gonna take the book with me then and just sort of opportunistically be like, hey, do you wanna like look at my art thing? <laughs> but then beyond that, I'll see if I can sort of sneak it into some other festivals around the place. I really enjoyed my experience at You Must Come Alone to read the last book on Earth. It was thoughtful and dark, with lightness scattered in between. There's dozens of little clues and easter eggs hinting at what is happening within the post-apocalyptic world George has created, and the addition of the audience members writing in the book is very exciting. George is putting a great deal of trust and agency in the hands of the audience. George's writing is strong and really draws you into the story. I found it very engaging and a beautiful experience, which I would highly recommend to lovers of books and language. Uh, so the show is called You Must Come Alone to Read the Last Book on Earth. It happens at the library at the Dock, the Docklands Library, and the sessions run every half hour between 11.30am and 4pm from Wednesday through Sunday of next week. So that's Wednesday the 21st to Sunday the 25th. Gee, I hope those numbers are correct. <laughs> um, and there's only about 20 tickets left, so do get in quickly if you're interested. You can book through the Melbourne Fringe website. Okay. Thanks, Georgia. Thank you, Ebony. Mm -hmm.